This is the Overclocked Podcast, a weekly dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we explore the creative process with Amy Shea, welcome Will Brueggemann to the show with his new segment, Score Scholar, and wade into a playlist overflowing with water themes. Hi! Hello! 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 Well, welcome! Come on in! No, I'm shutting the door on you, you you scoundrel you. <laughs> and that's our little bit of role play to begin <laughs> this episode. We're not putting this up, are we? Yes, we are. Welcome <laughs> to episode 54 of the Overclock Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and joining me today is my brother and co-host, Steven. Hello, Steven. That's me. That's me. Hello. We were just talking about how it can be way too easy to be samey if you have like an ongoing YouTube or podcast <laughs> or something like that. I feel we definitely so, fall into that we category. Did the worst, we made the worst call possible, which is panic <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and try to be entertaining. Yeah, exactly. And then just give the exact same scripted intro we give every single week, literally. So I mean, we're we're well over. I don't know. I don't know. It's four. Yeah, it's well over. But yep. we're over fifty episodes. So, yep. but we're still getting new stuff. You know, we're still getting new people submitting segments. People who are not us, but to everyone's Ooh, relief. Like, like who? Like Will Brueggemann, my best friend in the world. Um, oh, <laughs> or, <laughs> this. Okay, so um, let's talk about this off air. Exactly, but no, a really, really good friend. Um, we meet, we get to see him every year at Magfest, which is awesome. He's Carl's brother. Um, Carl has been submitting root note segments for a while now, and Will is a composer and a fellow video game music podcaster. He runs the Super Mercado Bros with his brother Carl, and. He's amazing at analyzing video game music and providing a more classically educated kind of look at video game music from his composing background. And that's exactly what he's going to be doing in his segment. He's going to be breaking down specific famous video game songs and explaining Mm -hmm. from a music theory background why they're so good and why they work so well. See, that that is why we have guest segments, because He's coming in and doing something that we just are not able to do. We yes. cannot do it. And he does it so well. Being the privileged person that I am, I have gotten to listen to his segment ahead of time. And I can confirm it's super good. I can confirm it is super good, too. Yes. But, okay, I'm, you're not the only one who can make MAGFest friends. I met Amy Shea at MAGFest. Oh, that's great. Um, she's an OC remixer. She's, uh, you know, played with the Overclock University before. And we had a delightful conversation. Um, all about the creation process and and the difficulties and the wonders of making music. Excellent. It sounds like we got a pretty full show. Mm-hmm, that's true. And well, I can't wait to get to the playlist because um, I thought we were going to uh, run out uh-huh. of submissions this time. And so I said, hey, guys, we, we need some more. And then, no pun intended, the floodgates opened with water themes. Oh, my gosh. And we got, like, 20 of them. So we can Jeez. only use, like, half. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. crazy. Um, do we, Yeah, something we could even see about doing is start throwing extra entries into the show notes um, hmm. and have an honorable mention segment. Or we could share some of them on Twitter. Yeah, but that would be kind of cool because that would allow people, if you want an extended playlist, you can just scroll down, but it doesn't take airtime. Good job, Brian. This also thinks up new ideas so our show won't get stale and people won't leave us behind. Exactly. And speaking of behind, it's time for the Remix Rewind. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the... 
Tamias222 delves into Pokemon's Super Mystery Dungeon with the new remix, Connected! Mysterious and cool-headed, this relaxed electronic track always has something new to discover around each corner. From sparkling gyms embedded in vast caverns to a rushing subterranean river, the deeper we go, the more we find to explore. Slimy's remix, Lonely in Space with a Waltz, is a thoughtful Star Fox tribute that hangs heavy with the vastness of star travel. It's the soundtrack of cosmic exploration, as much about the great void as the things which dance and spin inside it.
new remixer Overshield hits the ground running with his Sonic 2 track, Chemical Burn. Begin with dubstep, add the chemically appropriate amount of synth, game sound effects, and adrenaline, and when it explodes, you'll know you've remixed this one right. I mean, that's just science. Dusk loves to remix Guild Wars 2, and his latest track, Mordrum Stomp, shows it with an aggressive metal guitar treatment of the Heart of Thorns theme. It's a versatile track that can be played during a fight, or while eating before a fight, or over powerful speakers on your way to a fight, or even in the morning on your alarm clock on the day of a fight. these remixes and more head over to ocremix.org welcome back everyone to another episode of the intune interview this is the part of the show where we talk to music makers about the music that they make and other related material i'm steven your host as always and dang it i knew i was gonna do this call it off how do you pronounce your last name i'm gonna mess it up (laughs) 
<laughs> Shay. Shay. Okay. You know, we're just gonna Amy Shay. we're just gonna keep it in there that this this is a real life moment. I didn't ask how to pronounce her last name. That's okay. Nobody ever knows. Nobody ever knows. <laughs> it's it's just all the vowels in the wrong places for my brain to consider. But and the consonants. Oh, I got, consonants in wrong that's places. That's a good too. point. And H on either <laughs> end is just too much for me. Also known as diodes. So that's like my remixer name. Oh yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yes. But we we have Amy Shay on the show. <laughs> Welcome, Amy. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I mean, you've worked with Overclocked uh, Remix quite a bit in the past. Maybe that's a good place to start off. Sure. How, how did that all happen? And uh, kind of what's your story? Okay. Um, I have a great story about how I discovered OCR because Ooh. it involved meeting DJ Pretzel at a karaoke bar. <laughs> All of my best stories involve DJ Pretzel at a karaoke bar. I don't know if it's that unique, Amy. (laughs) Well, yeah. So at the time, I was dating Palpable, also known as Vinny. He's a judge Mm -hmm. on OC Remix. And we all live in Northern Virginia. Right. Um, We lived in Fairfax at the time. And we were hanging out with... A couple of our friends, which included Caleb Grace, and we decided one day to just, hey, like, let's go out to a karaoke bar, you know, why not? And somebody is singing, I think it's a talking head song, and we're just sitting at our table, just like chilling, listening, and then mm-hmm. Caleb Grace is like, hey, wait a minute, isn't that DJ Pretzel? <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, like, Vinny knew who that was. I did not, but um, uh-huh. Vinny was actually like familiar with OC Remix, and he was like, is it? I don't know. And then, like, we went up to him, and it was totally DJ Pretzel. Um, And the funny thing was, like, Vinny was all freaking out, right? He's (laughs) like, oh, my gosh, it's DJ Pretzel. What am I going to say? It's like, this is, you know, it's too much, right? But um, when he introduced himself and he said, hi, I'm Palpable, because he was a posted remixer at the time, Uh DJ Pretzel was like, oh, my God, it's Palpable. He was, like, so excited. (laughs) Uh, so that was like a pretty totally random thing that happened. And then that was when I got introduced to Overclocked Remix. Wow. So that's awesome. You went, you went straight to the top, straight to the source. Yeah. See, we, we <laughs> had to, so. we had to hobnob with Dark Sword before we ever got a meeting oh. <laughs> with DJ Pretzel. <laughs> right. So are, so are you a remixer like actively these days? So I have, yeah, I've made more rix- remixes in the past I think the last one I submitted was in 2014 or 15. It okay. was like a couple years ago. Yeah, that's not so long ago. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of like as time went on and life happened, it like became harder to make time to make remixes. Yeah. No, um, I get that. And I also played with Overclocked University for a few years. pretty sure that's where i first heard your name was in relation to the university project because um, mm-hmm. you know we we had met a bunch of people from ocr and people who were involved in that and uh then when we bumped into each other at magfest which is kind of how this interview got started um you introduced right. yourself as amy shay now that i know how to pronounce <laughs> that last name and i'm right. like oh where have i heard all oh, overclock universe it all makes sense all, mm-hmm. connecting all these thoughts 
Um, how was your MAGFest this year? Oh my gosh, it was so good. Um, I mean, it's always good, but I feel like every single MAGFest is like life-changing. And mm-hmm. I always come away so inspired and I have all these ideas about like things I want to do with music. And then I also feel like getting addicted to video games again. So, <laughs> um, I think Pokemon Sun and Moon was like the the hot item this year. So I picked up Pokemon Moon and it's my first ever Pokemon game. Wow. I know. Like, I actually played, like, other Pokemon games, but, like, the legit ones where you're, you know, trying to catch them all, those kinds of Pokemon games. Right. Yep, yep. This would be the first one. Um, I have six Pokemon. How am I doing? Is that good? I think six is about a party size, so I think you're on the right track. (laughs) All right. Uh, That's all I need, right? That's what they mean by catch them all? Yeah, I I think so. (laughs) Fill up up that first slot. (laughs) Right. And that's, in quotes, all. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think the first Pokemon game I ever played was Pokemon Snap, actually. Oh, yeah. I was a I strange child. <laughs> I was obsessed with uh, Pokemon Puzzle League, actually, as long as we're talking about N64. Oh, oh like, wow. That's like the only um, N64 era Pokemon game I didn't play. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like totally obsessed. I mean, it was not so good for my grades, but it was good times. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I-, I owned a Pokemon Snap game um strategy guide before i ever owned the game so that that that's how into <laughs> wow. pokemon snap i was <laughs> i just wanted to go live with pokemon there's nothing wrong with that but no <laughs> okay back on track i'm a good host mm-hmm. don't worry about it um so so beyond ocr and remixes um what kind of music do you enjoy creating that is kind of like a complicated answer do you want the complicated answer yeah let's let's dig into let's see dig into the complex bits let's do it (laughs) okay so i'm like all over the place like um when i i started like making music when i was little i was like classically trained and then i got into like pop music and Mm -hmm. i I listened to all kinds of stuff so i'm like very kind of unfocused and i think that's also reflected in my remixes i've just done like all different kinds i have like bossa nova i have like synth like light Mm -hmm. synth pop i have like this ragtime violin and piano thing so um i guess it's kind of a hard question to answer yeah it's it's not like you have a specific sound or genre that you're known for that you keep going back to yeah but actually the thing is i think in terms of like what i would most want to make and the style of music that i'm usually most drawn to it's like electronic synth pop and these days, I guess, like indie, which incorporates elements of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, I think like learning how to play instruments has always been easier to me than like the sound production and all that like stuff, like working in the DAW. Right. So right, right, the right. music I end up making, like the album that I just released um, last year is an acoustic album for that reason. It kind of plays to my strengths. Yeah. But um, I do hope, I'm actually right now in the middle of, um, I guess, like, focusing more on getting better at sound production and sound design, and I'm hoping to incorporate more electronic elements. We were talking a little bit before we recorded about the Spencer Nelson interview that we did mm-hmm. a little while back, and yeah. he went on a, a, a small and important speech about how much more you will need the knowledge of physically using an instrument and understanding how to play and how to compose and how that all feels than you can get from a DAW 
like he was adamant about mm-hmm. that. So I, <laughs> it's it, at least from his, you know, from his perspective, you're on the right track. Yeah, I think these days, um, you kind of need both. Mm-hmm. You know, like back in the day, like a century ago, right? If you could write the music and write it down on a sheet of paper, and it sounded good, you just get some people to play it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But these days, um, I think the way music is made is like you, people want the finished product, the recording, you know, and it has right. to sound good. It has to be recorded the right way and like with the right sounds and sound production and all that stuff. So in a way, I think it's like kind of harder, um, mm-hmm. but there's there's benefits to it also because we have the technology. So yeah, that's a really good point. But you mentioned just a minute ago about the album you released last year. Um, yeah, I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what's that about? Like, let's let's give that its due credit. Oh, when she was young, she didn't have any armor. Oh, all she could do was run when they would try to harm her. So the album is called Departure. It's an acoustic album of my original songs. It's kind of like, it's acoustic pop music, but it's also very kind of like deep and personal, like my whole life story kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. I worked on it for five years. Yeah. And at the time, the year was 2011, I was kind of going through some stuff, like Mm -hmm. some major life upheaval. And... um, I couldn't make electronic music anymore, which, as I previously said, which was the thing that I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I only really had the means to uh, make music using my instruments and recording them. Right. So it was kind of like my way of making music with what I had at the time. And I thought that it was going to be like this little diversion because I had written all the songs. And I was just like, well... I can sing it, I can play it on the guitar or the piano or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. All I just need to do is like get a microphone and then record it and it's done. And it's like totally not like that. <laughs> like you guys, <laughs> if you are out there and you're trying to make an album and you've been trying for a long time or maybe you're just starting, like it's a hard process. And But I don't mean that to be like discouraging because like it's going to be difficult, but like keep going because there is an end and don't be discouraged by mm. like feeling like, oh my God, like I thought this was going to be simple and then it wasn't. You can do it. It just takes time. Like, well, what are some of the hurdles that you stumbled upon when you're trying to get this thing out the door? One of the things that I struggled with was balancing life and music uh-huh. because it does take a great deal of dedicated time. Uh, so for instance, like I had to record a lot of singing and singing is like, for me at least, I find that like I have to practice pretty consistently to stay in shape. Mm -hmm. So when I would make a goal to like practice all week so I could record that weekend or something, if I got derailed and I couldn't practice like one or two days, that would like put off the whole thing. Oh yeah. Uh, just kind of like logistical stuff like that. Um, recording like engineering and like the microphone and like the, the equipment and all that stuff. There, that's a whole thing unto itself. There are people right. whose job it is to be like the expert in that. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it's not as simple as just like, you know, you get a microphone and it's just done. Yeah. You know, it takes work to acquire the skills and the knowledge to be able to do these things. Uh, which is not to say that like, I haven't done that also. I actually studied music technology as um, my minor in college, but uh, just studying it, and like doing that with the guidance of the teacher for for homework or whatever it was is like totally different than being on your own 
and trying to to do it and that was a long time ago anyway things have changed in the technology mm-hmm. but um i forgot where i was going with that i guess like we we're kind of talking about the obstacles yeah. to doing it what do you think was tougher trying to overcome those technical hurdles not knowing how to do something or the mental ones not either not wanting to or feeling like you weren't able to definitely definitely like the mental mm-hmm. <laughs> ones those are the toughies. <laughs> it might be like kind of cheesy to say this, but I feel like I had a relationship to that album. And that relationship hmm. started with like kind of excitement, inspiration. And over the course of five years, it was a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, there were some yeah. days I hated it. Like, and, and like 90% of the way through, there were times when I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to scrap the whole thing and do right. something else. And one of the things that I learned from this is that like, it takes so much work and effort to work on a project of this magnitude. And so I guess be sure that it's what you want to be doing. Right. Because it's one thing to be like, oh, I want an album at the end of this. Because mm-hmm. I want to say that I have it and I want to be able to share it and I want people to listen to it. And that those are all good things. But really like being a musician means the time that you're spending making the music you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean like oh i have an album in my hand that's not like the time it's just kind of like a concept whether it was done or not so really i guess what i'm trying to say in a long-winded way is like it's about the journey and if you love what Mm -hmm. you're doing then that's great but if you're just trying to like meet an end goal yeah. It's going to be more suffering along the way, right? That's exactly what I was thinking, that that idea of an end goal. Because if you if you aren't fully engaged and growing and even in the difficult times wanting to be there, wanting to put the that hard work into it, and man, it can be super hard, mm-hmm. do something else. Like you have other, there are many, many talents you can develop and many things to do in this world. Make sure it's something that is at least bringing you some sort of positive growth yeah and so the thing i will say about it though is that like if i had broken down the goal into something smaller Mm -hmm. i think it would have changed things quite a bit for me like in talking about like my mental perspective of it right Mm -hmm. because um when you when you're so focused on the end goal and it's such a large project that's going to take years to do it's like running a marathon and getting no positive feedback along the way right Um, And that's another thing, like making the album was a lot of it was kind of a solitary experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did collaborate with a a few people on like the production and like the kind of like after it was recorded, but mostly like all the writing, all the recording, all the practicing. I did it alone. So there was literally no like positive feedback of feeling like, okay, I achieved this and I can feel good about it now until the whole thing was done. And that's kind of like very sad. So do you think that? it would have helped to have others weighing in on or or collaborating on the project? Or was it something that, you know, you said before, it's sort of like your life story. Would that not have made sense? Would it have been too difficult to have someone else, you know, share in the um, creation? That is a good question. I did try at some point to, or I did consider it. Um, I think it was hard for me to let go of the I guess the control of it so mm-hmm. um for me because it was like such a personal project yeah yeah I guess I just wish I could have gone back and given myself more encouragement along mm-hmm. the way because really like 
the journey might have like a thousand steps in it, right? And if you don't give yourself a, a little bit of like encouragement for each one of those steps, like yeah, it's going to be a long way before you can congratulate yourself or kind of like feel like you accomplished it. You know, it's something that I never really considered, but my main creative output these days is podcasting. Mm-hmm. And you get to put one out every week. And so you yeah. get feedback every week and people like this episode and people don't like that episode. <laughs> and, and you get to start and finish a full project every week. And I think there's something powerful about that. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Do you know, um, are you familiar with Jonathan Colton and his whole thing a week thing? That sounds really familiar, but you're going to have to refresh me. Okay, so Jonathan Colton, or I like to call him Joko. I think that's kind of like a familiar nickname (laughs) Uh for him. Uh, He wrote the song Still Alive for Portal. So for the video game community, I think that's what he's known for, but he actually has written quite a lot of other Mm -hmm. things also. And he had had this thing. It was like many years ago, but he did a thing a week, and like every week just pushed himself to put out something, you know, just so he was doing it and he could put it out into the world. And Mm -hmm. uh, I really get, I I like that. I love that, you know, the spirit of that idea and making, turning something that could be solitary into something that's shared and you get that feedback from others. Have you ever tried something like that with music? Because I used to do something like that with writing where I would force myself to like write a tiny short story every day and they were uh, awful and abysmal, but every once in a while I wanted to be gold (laughs) and I'd be so happy with it. I think that's the idea, right? You have to make tons and tons of crap before you reach the gold, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of us are afraid to even like write a little bit because we want it all to be gold. We want to see the not gold, right? But it's part of the process and you learn so much from doing that. Um, so you're a writer. Are you familiar with NaNoWriMo? Oh, man. NaNoWriMo has been the most glorious thing that's ever happened to me and the bane Yay! of my existence at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. No, NaNoWriMo like, forced me to like write my first book start to finish. It was it was awesome. Yeah. It was life-changing for me. I I did it six years in a row. Oh, I, wow. I have six really crappy novels. <laughs> <laughs> but you have ago. six novels. Yeah. Uh, for for and, those who aren't familiar, NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. Yep. I think that's mm-hmm. it. Yep. Um, and it's, it, you know, started out as just this little grassroots idea and it's grown and grown and grown since then. And it's a really cool community now where people get together and they all see if they can write a novel in a single month and it, it'll teach you a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, it was totally life changing for me. I think that is actually where I got my time management skills from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh man. It's just like, Definitely. if you miss a day of that, like you're behind so many words. So like you're, you know, it kind of forces you to keep in the habit and just keep making stuff. And I think the idea of just writing lots and lots of stuff and not thinking about is this good or or is it crap? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like so powerful. It encourages you to encourage yourself, if you know what I mean. Because if you procrastinate, there is an immediate um, uh, penalty (laughs) for that. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to keep going. Even when it hurts, you had to just keep going. And it's almost always worth it to get to the end. (laughs) yes so we we talked about the kind of the hurdles what are the things that give you that inspiration to create in the first place like what is it that makes you excited about doing it 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and it's an important question. I feel like I, I don't want to appear too like negative about the whole process of the album. <laughs> like, sure. Oh yeah. my God, it was torture. It was so hard. <laughs> and there's all these obstacles. Like, and But I should say it was definitely worth it in the end. And I would never have wanted to not made the album. Like I'm so glad mm-hmm. that it exists and it's out there. Um, but to your to your point, why why do we do it? I mean, that's kind of like a deep philosophical question I know. here. <laughs> and I, I've I've done away with the softballs and given you the tough <laughs> ones, Amy. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, I feel like, uh, and I guess you're asking me. You're not asking everybody, and everybody's answer exactly. might be different. Yeah. Um, I feel like, and this is going to sound cheesy, but I feel like it was something that I was born to do. And it's not mm. to say that I was not born to do other things also, but it's just something that I feel to my core. Like I know I'm a musician and even if I take a break from it or, you know, less active with it, I, I still know, I always know mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm meant to do this. So getting down to the really core of what is most important to me and what I most feel like I want to put into the world. It's the writing. We're writing original music. And for me, the ideas for original songs kind of come to me. And that is not to say that I don't put effort into that because sometimes you, you do have to work on, you know, making sure the the well is still running. Yeah, so to speak. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you keep the inspiration going. But, um, once I get that idea, it's like I can't rest until that idea is like brought to fruition. Yeah. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, actually, in the recent weeks since MAGFest. I was thinking about how I had like in my head these songs that require, they're electronic style or have electronic elements. Mm-hmm. And some of the sounds I can hear in my head, I don't know quite how to make them. Right. And it's been years and years. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I really should have got better at this so I could be making these songs. But yeah, I think it's all about like keeping in touch with that and not letting go of like the inspiration Mm -hmm. and that feeling of like, I know that like this could be good (laughs) if I could just sit, sit down and, you know, do what I need to do to get the skills. And then once I have the skills, you know, make the thing and make it real. Right. Like much longer ago, I used to have a different attitude where it was like, okay, I have this end goal and I have to just do all the work that mm-hmm. needs to be done, no matter what it is, no matter how I feel, just to get that end goal. And now like over the years, I've totally kind of like reversed on that. So um, as an example, I was just saying how like I really want to work on my electronic production skills. Yeah. And I don't want to just do that in a way where I'm like making myself like it's a chore, like, oh, okay. Okay. I have to do an hour of this, you know, mm-hmm. I have to do this every day. Like I'm, I'm actually genuinely inspired by it. You know, I'm trying to get like more curious and mm-hmm. just appreciate that as an art form in itself rather than like, okay, just tell me what I need to know so I can do the thing I want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's honestly just a mindset at that point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's why you're there. I know mm-hmm. that, I know for Brian, um, the way we would learn new skills was to make birthday presents for each other. Oh, <laughs> and it just became this sort of long running joke where it started out small and every year it escalated uh, until we were consuming our lives trying to best the last year. <laughs> and, so you're talking about musical. Um, it could be anything. That's how Brian okay. learned to use RPG maker. That's how I learned how to oh. use 
Reaper as a DAW. That's how I learned how to write nice. music in the first place. <laughs> like it's and that's uh, awesome. It's it's kind of like a NaNoWriMo, but only one person in the world is doing it. <laughs> uh, I guess I just kind of related it to that because it gave us a unique reason to be there and a uh, and a deadline, a pretty pretty hard deadline, the day the other one was born. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are all good factors to kind of like introduce into your like, you know, setting up a goal that'll help keep you motivated, like having a deadline and a purpose. And I think it's really great that you're like, kind of found a fun way to, you know, just a way to make it fun. And it's a it's sort of like you're also making it for someone else. You know what I mean? So it's like there's when you talk about feedback, you know that at the end, someone is going to appreciate it, like someone is going to get something out of it, not just right. yourself. And sure, I learned a lot along the way, but that that's a, a good motivator is, you know, not necessarily just the general public, but sometimes it's fun to make something for someone specific. So you can make it as as weird and, you know, like off the beaten path as you want, as long as you know that person will enjoy it. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of um, something that I did. I used to be a music teacher, so um, I taught mostly instruments, but I did have some songwriting students also. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I tried to do with my songwriting students, because I often found that their block was um, like the writer's block, basically, right? Yeah. What do I write about? So I would play this kind of like almost like a game where I'd write down some writing prompts on index cards and they, they had to pick one at random. And then those Mm -hmm. prompts might be something like, uh, winter or home or a funny memory. I I don't know, just Uh random stuff. And they'd have to write a song about that. And in, in return, they would do the same thing for me. So I, you know, they'd make me write something. That's really and cool. So that way, like they knew I was going to be writing something. And the next week I'm like, all right, I wrote my song. You got to show me your song. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually one of those songs that came from that and came from my students prompt is going on my next whatever music, <laughs> whatever oh, you want to call it. Album that's so EP. cool. That is really cool. So I guess this line of conversation leads me to a question that is maybe impossible to answer but i'm gonna ask it anyway awesome i'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) what if anything do you hope people will come away with after hearing your music or maybe specifically departure hmm that's a really good question so i think that differs from piece to piece Mm -hmm. but i always want to feel like somebody was moved by the music I made. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like the highest compliment. You know, it's like sometimes somebody might come up to you and say like, oh, wow, you, you're a great singer or you're, you're great at guitar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's not nice to hear. But I, it's kind of like a whole other thing when you feel like you've moved people and made them either reflect on their, their life or, you know, evoke some kind of emotion. Um, people have told me that my music makes them cry. I don't know if that's a good thing. or yeah, I or, think you know. in most cases it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making people cry. That's not good. Um, but, you know, I guess in the case of departure, because it is so personal and like kind of deep for me, if yep. it made people reflect on their own lives or kind of like some deep feelings that they had, then I feel like I achieved you know, what I set out to do. These memories 
That's a good answer. I, I'm just going to say that's way better than the answer I would have given where I asked I ask that question on an interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned that you at least have one song potentially chosen for whatever your next project is going to be. So I'm working on a three-song thing, which I don't know what the proper term for that is. It's either a single or an EP. I've been uh-huh. calling it an EP. I don't know. EP is usually like four tracks in my mind, so mm-hmm. uh, technically, what whatever. Um, so I have three songs picked out, and one of them is a song that I tried to put on Departure, and I just couldn't finish it, but mm-hmm. the point is... Um, I'm kind of moving away from the acoustic and trying to introduce more of like a full band sound. Mm. So um, I have Tom, the drummer from OCU. He's going to be playing drums on this album. And Uh we actually have a studio recording date this Saturday. We'll be recording his drums. Very cool. I will be playing guitar and bass and singing. And it'll be the first time I'm ever playing bass on anything recorded. It might be really bad, but (laughs) (laughs) it'll be uh, an adventure. And um, my husband, Jeremy, is going to produce it. So uh, he's like, I know I was saying all this stuff about like production and sound design and stuff. Like he's actually like the expert at that stuff. So um, with this project, I just tried to do a few things differently from like what I learned from my previous album. So collaborating with others, always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of letting other people do what they do best and bringing that all together to hopefully be kind of like greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Um, and making the project much smaller with three songs as opposed to pressuring myself to departure or was originally supposed to have 13 songs. I cut it to 10. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it won't take as long to finish and I'll have a new thing out in like sometime in 2017. Oh, that's awesome. And do you, do you like view it as a a follow-up at all to departure or is it, Okay, forgive me for this ahead of time. Or is it a departure? <laughs> I saw that coming. <laughs> I was like, at did. some point, it's going to end up there, isn't it? Um, kind of a departure, but in the same way, I guess like my songs um, have still been kind of personal. So in some ways, the same. I, I guess like sure. um, any artist catalog, you, you know, you probably see common threads, right? And right places where they've departed from their previous work also so (laughs) Mm -hmm. maybe some of both i'm looking forward to hearing it so if people do want to hear it or they want to you know see what you're up to on the internet is there somewhere they can follow you website social media that kind of stuff sure um so my website is iamdiodes.com i programmed it myself i'm a software engineer web developer person so oh cool that's, that's um, handy. So then my Twitter is at Diodes Music, and then my Facebook is I Am Diodes. I don't really Facebook that much, but I Twitter more, or tweet, I guess is the proper verb for that. And yeah, it all works. <laughs> if you wanted to, I guess, like preview Departure, it's on Bandcamp. So my Bandcamp is diodesmusic.bandcamp.com, and you can just you know go there and stream it um, and kind of like preview it. I definitely recommend it. I, I listened to it just the other day, and uh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show for a little bit. This is a really interesting discussion. Like it, all, A lot of the stuff I have been thinking about since MAGFest as well, so it was kind of nice to sit down and see what someone else's perspective is. We kind of went all over the place. but oh, That's kind of the <laughs> way I good. like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a little journey. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Amy. Well, thank you very much again. It was great having you on the show. Thank you. For now... We will take all you listeners back to the show. 
Hello everyone, this is Brian again, and I am here with Will Brueggemann, who is here to introduce his new segment for the Overclock podcast. Hey Will, how are you doing? Hi Brian, thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm just delighted to get to share this uh, new segment with all of your listeners. I like to imagine that this is all because of brotherly competition. You can't let Carl do something and not do it better. Exactly, exactly. Some of you might be familiar uh, with the podcast that my brother Carl and I do, uh, the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music yep. Podcast. And Brian, Stephen, uh, my brother and I have done so many amazing things together over the years and done tons of crossovers and we've hung out a ton at various MAGFests throughout the years. Um, but yeah, there's this sense of brotherly video game music podcasting rivalry, I think, <laughs> that exists. And yeah, Carl's doing a, a segment for the show. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's called Root Note. It's a fantastic segment, you know, sort of exploring the origins of a lot of game music influence. Um, and I was interested in sort of contributing a piece to the show. And so I asked Stephen and Brian sort of uh, what types of things they would be interested in. And Brian told me that one thing that they didn't yet have for segments was a show that just discussed and analyzed a single piece of music. Um, so I thought I would sort of take on that challenge. And what I came up with was what you're going to hear today. Uh, the show is called Score Scholar. And each segment is just going to be focusing on one specific piece of video game music. Uh, I'm choosing to sort of focus on things that are pretty popular and well-known because uh, I think the idea of the show is to sort of dig a little bit deeper and focus on aspects of a particular tune that you may not have thought about before. Absolutely. So without further ado, here is the first installment of the segment Score Scholar. Welcome to Score Scholar, a study of esteemed game music masterworks by master composers. Join me as we dive deep inside a single piece. Who knows what we'll discover? For today's study session, we examine a seminal work from game music's most renowned composer, Koji Kondo. From perhaps Kondo's most notable and celebrated soundtrack, the underwater theme from Super Mario Bros. remains one of the most enduring pieces in a body of work which spans decades of unmatched influence and acclaim. A true titan of a game theme, Underwater is perhaps as essential to the legacy of Nintendo as Mario's red hat in the D-pad. This piece was quite literally a game changer. It's safe to assume that this melody is familiar to all of us, and for good reason. Not only does it accompany one of the most popular video games in history, but I think it represents the first moment many of us began to hear video game music as music. There's a certain marriage between gameplay and sound that, even all these years later, is every bit as simple as it is iconic. It's hard to imagine the image of our beloved pot-bellied plumber swimming about without Kondosan's music beneath it. Much of this exceptional bond between score and scene is owed to the rhythmic character of the waltz. Traditionally speaking, a waltz occurs in 3-4 time, which means that each measure has only three beats as opposed to four. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Due to the uneven nature of this meter, a strong emphasis is felt on the downbeat, or one, of each measure. This is what contributes to that buoyant feeling in the music that we associate with Mario's bouncy way of swimming. Interestingly enough, this piece was the first thing ever composed for Super Mario Bros. 
I imagine this was because after playing the underwater stage, Koji Kondo's musical instincts were so clearly focused on this idea of a classical waltz, in the style of romantic composers like Johann Strauss and Tchaikovsky. Many of the earmarks of a Viennese waltz are displayed confidently in this piece, almost as a pastiche or a nod to an earlier era. These musical features include the heavy use of chromaticism, particularly in the harmonized melodic tones, the application of a classically voiced harmonic progression, and of course, the lyrical melody, whose contour is so simple yet so satisfying. You almost feel as though you've stumbled upon a lost symphonic movement from the 1800s, quite a far cry from a piece of shiny 1980s electronics. Keeping in mind the limitations of the NES, being restricted to only three individual notes at a time, Koji Kondo is tasking himself with the duties of an entire orchestra, and through the cleverness of his writing, he's able to imply that orchestral sound through familiar musical gestures that we associate with the sound of a symphony. For instance, the intro of this piece starts with just one note, which then splits into two, each moving in contrary motion with one another, ultimately setting up our first cadence. There are two important things of note here. First, the fact that both voices only move in stepwise motion up and down the scale, sometimes chromatically. This creates a very smooth texture with voice leading that any conservatory-trained music theorist would approve of. Second is the use of a secondary dominant. This is a sequence of chords in classical music that temporarily imply a new tone center. This piece is ultimately in C major, however, it starts on a D and implies a D major or D7 chord, which is outside of the C major key. Much like the overworld theme, this piece uses D major to temporarily make our first cadence feel more satisfying and exciting. This rapid succession of harmonies is another earmark of the classic romantic tradition, and it immediately sets this piece apart from any of its game music peers. Another way in which Koji Kondo makes an orchestra out of an NES is with the melody itself. The theme combines two very different rhythmic motives, one being slow and smooth, and the other being accented by this quick scalar run back up to the origin point. This asymmetry in the melodic phrase creates the impression of two different instruments, or two different instrument groups, with only one channel of synth. Due to the lyrical nature of this tune, Kondo-san found it appropriate to have the melody in constant parallel harmony. This harmony primarily occurs at the interval of a sixth below. Parallel sixths are perfect for situations where the composer is seeking a very primary third-based harmony in which the lower of two notes is the melody. The idea is to bring the harmony down the octave, creating much more space between the notes and ensuring the melody will have the most prominent voice. In terms of the hardware, this is doubly effective because it also helps to fill out the texture in terms of range. Another interesting aspect of the harmony arises again from the idea of chromaticism, which essentially means using pitches outside of the key for emotional emphasis or direction of line. This piece highlights the moment of this chromatic lower neighbor tone and uses it as the point of imitation in the melodic sequence. Remembering again how it's harmonized in parallel motion, this means that every point in which the melody dips down to that chromatic lower neighbor, the harmony does so as well. This heightens the emotional effect and epitomizes that romantic quality that we often associate with a waltz like this. These harmonic gestures are reinforced by a bass line which also complies with the lower neighbor idea. 
The bass voice in this piece is interesting because it functions more like the left hand in a piano piece by Chopin rather than an orchestral bass line, due again to the strict limitation of voices. Typically in a symphonic waltz, there's the idea of separation between parts, where the bass voice, perhaps string bass, tuba, and bassoon, may strike on the downbeat in the middle harmonic voices, perhaps French horns or woodwinds, would play a response on the two and three of the bar. It's that oom-pa-pa idea that's the basis for the quality of the waltz as a dance form. Of course, Kondo didn't have the luxury of these many voices, so he chose to create a bass line that accentuates each beat rhythmically and also continues to fill in harmonic information. It's quite amazing because despite that only three notes are ever occurring at once, he's able to imply these relatively extended five or six note chords by choosing pitches in the bass arpeggio that both complicate and complement the two melodic voices. Now, my absolute favorite moment of the underwater theme occurs in the B section of this piece. This is the point where the melody and harmony separate from their little parallel dance, and the melody highlights this repeated note idea, while the harmony voice moves down chromatically in each beat. On top, or I should say underneath all of this, is the most detailed passage for the bass voice. If we listen to the bass melody alone, we can still perceive a complete understanding of the harmony in each moment. All of the movement between parts is so brilliant here, and emotionally, this is where the piece reaches its climax. The piece ends much like it began, tying two earlier concepts together at once. In the final moments of the melody, we again hear the lower neighbor tone motif, this time using pitches within the key of C major. This lower pitch happens to be the leading tone, which is a note that occurs on the seventh degree of the scale. It has such a strong tendency to resolve to the tonic, which in this case is C, that it's often reserved for final cadences like this. In addition to that melodic idea returning, we again hear the idea of contrary motion, much like in the introduction between the top two voices. Again, like the intro, this voicing is emblematic of classical part writing, and its smoothness allows us to complete the tune with unimpeachable elegance. The last point I'll make about this piece is with regard to the form. Like most game music of this era, it's designed as a continuous loop. Unlike many other composers, however, Kondo-san, rather than trying to disguise the loop point, chooses to utilize it as a moment of contrast within the piece. He juxtaposes the fullness of the texture at the end with the relatively small nature of the intro. This is especially effective because it's the first point in which the triangle channel, responsible for that plucky bass sound, cuts out, as well as the harmonies that have become so ingrained in our ear. This recontextualizes the introduction and makes us feel as though we are hearing something completely new, when in truth, we've actually returned to the beginning. That's one way to throw the listener for a loop. So there you have it, a piece of music that defined a generation of gamers and composers to follow. Despite being incredibly well-known and iconic, I think we don't often appreciate the level of craftsmanship and artistry that exists in not only the underwater theme, but this entire soundtrack. Super Mario Bros. is a game that redefined a medium and sowed the promise of what games could become. It may likely be remembered for generations, but it's safe to say that its music will live on in the hearts and minds of those who embarked on that eponymous journey to rescue a princess from the clutches of evil through rough terrain, on land, and beyond the sea. On that note, see you next time, Score Scholars.
All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This has been a lovely 54th episode, our best 54th episode of the Overclock Podcast, I might add. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a 54th episode to remember. I don't think we'll ever top it. If you want 50 more things and more, head over to ocremix.org. You can also go to Twitter if you want to reach out to us and talk to us and give us playlist submissions at OCR Podcast. And if you want to send us uh, 54 emails, you can do so at podcast at ocremix.org. You know what? That's just so right. I'd also like to say thank you to our guests and our contributors. As always, Sin, you did a good job writing those Remix Rewinds. They made me laugh this time. Amy did a great job making me think during the interview. And Will did a great job of being my best friend. No! <laughs> well, I want to thank Will 54 times. So, Ooh, you topped me. Exactly. And it is time for that overflowing playlist. So let's head out and do it. The playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is water music. Counterfeit Mermaids from Shantae Half-Genie Hero and submitted by Square Evil. Delphinus Delphis from Abzu and submitted by Major Third.
A silver light shines from Final Fantasy V The Fabled Warriors Volume 2 Water and submitted by Dark Sword. Aquatic Ambience from Donkey Kong Country and submitted by Chris. Abysmal Ball Intermission from Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2 and submitted by Solvalu.
Think Swiftly and Stay Dry from Sacred Earth Memory and submitted by Zach. Dive into the Mellow from Sonic Adventure 2 and submitted by Quentin. from Terraria and submitted by Sothen.
The City of Abundant Water from Atelier Shali and submitted by Zachary. Hydro City Zone, Act 1, from Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and submitted by Zero Forte. You've been listening to the Overclocked Podcast. Next week's playlist is saxophone music. MIDI pretending to be a saxophone also counts. To submit your own suggestions, or just say how do you do, hit us up on Twitter at OCR Podcast. Email us at podcast at ocremix.org or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org. This week's lyrical wisdom. Let's take a dive in aquatic mine. Once was a coal pit, but now it's a water ride. Makes you want to sit back, enjoy your life, and do things you like doing. Get to shine.